The pandemic has hit us hard, and healthcare workers are our first and last lines of defense. So while they're looking out for us, who's looking out for them? There has never been a more critical time to address the mental health of our healthcare community. This is Lift the Mask, voices of heroes in the silent pandemic. Join the Quell Foundation and Hartford Health's Dr. John Santopietro as we provide a podcast for healthcare workers discussing their psychological traumas associated with continual exposure to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, my name is John Santopietro. I'm a psychiatrist and I am the physician-in-chief at the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford HealthCare, headquartered in Hartford, Connecticut. During the pandemic, I have been part of a team providing support to healthcare workers on the front lines, and I have a particular interest in making sure that their stories get told. The Quell Foundation has put together this podcast in order to lift up the voices of those on the front lines as a way of reaching those who are still out there in the hope that they will be inspired to reach out for the help and support that is there for them. While there's been a lot of reporting about the pandemic in the news and even about the front lines of healthcare, what's unique about this podcast is that you get to hear the stories from the people that lived it and actually are still living it. I would also encourage other leaders to listen into this podcast because there are many lessons and clues about what makes good leadership in a pandemic and a crisis. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Lift the Mask, Voices of Heroes in the Silent Pandemic. So welcome back, everybody, and welcome back, Caitlin. We actually ended the last podcast, Caitlin, midway through your story. We decided we actually wanted to have two podcasts because there was so much really rich material. If you don't mind telling us a little bit again about where you were and what your role was at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, so I've been an ER nurse for 10 years, five of which were spent as a traveling ER nurse across the country in about 11 different ERs. I had just moved out to the Pacific Northwest in January, and the pandemic kind of was first identified in the U.S. over here in Washington State. So I I guess I initially said on the first podcast that my first exposure was March 19th, But in talking with a friend, it was actually February 19th. I think everything kind of just ran together this year. But yeah, I guess I didn't realize that February 19th is when I started um, seeing my first COVID patients. Well, thank you again for introducing yourself and thank you for making that clarification. So let's pick up where we left off last time when you were talking about how you had reached a kind of a breaking point at some point and just what that was like. I guess it was three months into it, it was already to a point where I wasn't doing well. I, like I said, was working all the time or I was just all consumed by trying to figure it out and trying to figure out what was the the latest practice. I wasn't sleeping well. I was picking up a whole bunch of extra shifts because it was easier to be at work than home just stressing about it. So I was exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, and already could kind of tell that I just wasn't handling it well. I didn't have my support system. It took us a while to realize that all of us that were already working together and exposed together were exposed to the same thing. So we could kind of get together and hang out and vent and decompress. So before we realized that, 
I was either at work or I was at home in my apartment by myself. I wouldn't even go grocery shopping for fear of, of transmitting it to somebody else. Somebody else. I felt like I was a danger to other people or that at least concern that I could be a danger to other people. It was just very isolating that I was home by myself all the time or at work, just getting too overwhelmed. And finally, I had this case at work that was by far the worst case in my career. And everybody that was in the room that day kind of agrees that, you know, despite being in medicine for decades, that was one of the, if not the worst cases of their career. And basically it was a a young woman that was scheduled to have a C-section the next day for a completely normal, typical, healthy pregnancy and just all of a sudden became unresponsive. So she came into us and wasn't breathing. We had to initiate a code. We had to try to resuscitate her. When the OBGYN took an ultrasound of the baby, the baby was severely bradycardic, which meant that she wasn't oxygenating and could potentially not survive. We had to do an emergency C-section in the ER. We're not a trauma center. We're not prepared for that. We don't have the equipment for that. But there was an emergency C-section. They got the baby out. The baby was not well, also had to be resuscitated. So now we're dealing with an active resuscitation of the mother while the C-section is in progress, trying to save mom, trying to save baby, just a, a high stress situation. We went through 16 units of blood products. You know, I I don't want to be too graphic, but it was quite a scene. And unfortunately, both mom and baby did not make it despite our efforts. The saving grace is we know that we did absolutely everything correctly. So luckily, we don't have to deal with that guilt of could I have done something better? We had an extensive debrief about the case, but it's just clinically, it's interesting. Clinically, you go in there and... It's very much, if this is the situation, this is what you do. You go on autopilot and you, the scientific aspect of it is, you know what's wrong, you know how to fix it, and let's see if it works. But the human aspect of it is another thing. And I think that was kind of my breaking point was I was already at my emotional capacity and You have the whole team trying to save mom, the whole team trying to save baby and losing both of them after working and giving it everything you've got Mm -hmm. for so long. I think the letdown of that and the realization of that, that's just kind of what broke me. It would have been in a traumatic case anyway, but the fact that it happened at the height of all Mm -hmm. this stress of the pandemic just set me over the edge. You know, it's such a powerful story, Caitlin. And, you know, in addition to it being not just you, but a number of people's worst case ever, you know, as I was listening to you just now, I was thinking, you know, the other elements of it, like you said, just the staggering human tragedy of it. And also that it's so senseless, right? Sort of it's a senseless loss. Mm-hmm. And also the, this feeling that you were powerless, you know, even doing everything that you'd done, you know, this sort of sense of being powerless. 
when you say it's your breaking point, like what happened after that? I didn't sleep for three days straight, not even a minute. I could not sleep. My anxiety was through the roof. I couldn't shut my brain off. There were so many visuals and I, I couldn't stop it. And I couldn't stop myself from thinking, you know, I'll go through the case over and over and just make sure that we didn't miss anything. And that's where the, the debrief comes in and it was super helpful. And even in the immense grief that they were going through, the family even came back and thanked us and said that they knew we did everything we could, wow. which was extremely powerful and wow. obviously took a lot off of us as well. Yeah. What a totally opposite reaction than what you were saying about COVID, where people were sort of senselessly interacting with you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I just, I, I couldn't stop having those visuals in my head of just kind of the, the worst parts of that event. So let me ask you, you know, because you, you talked about this incredibly powerful moment, right? And actually to use the word breaking point is is really useful, right? And it, I've wondered, you know, have people, maybe I wish kind of more people had reached a kind of point where they would then say, hmm, something's going on here, you know? So when you reached that point, what did you do? Did you reach out? And what was that like? Like I said, I, I spent three days where I didn't sleep at all. Yeah. I actually had to work the next day. Uh, my manager called me right before work and, you know, I, I wasn't doing well. I was able to hold myself together. This happened right at the, the start of the shift. I was able to hold myself together throughout the shift and completely lost it on my way home. Called up my mom, of yeah. course, you know, you need your mom. Sure. Called up my mom and just kind of was just, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't speak. I was trying to get across what happened and just words weren't even coming out. Nothing intelligible, at least. My boss called me right before work when I had finally just gotten myself together and told me I didn't have to come in if I didn't think I could come in. And I decided, you know, I wanted to power through. I was going to do this. It was, you know, a princess shift, as they said, it was only a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And even just being at work, there were a couple of us that worked that night, the previous night that were involved in the case, found each other at first because we, we all knew that we weren't doing well with it. And none of us had slept that night. But of course, anytime there's an interesting case at work, everybody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So everybody would come up and want to know the details about it. And they weren't there, so they don't have necessarily the human aspect of it. So they want to know the clinical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And is this true that this happened? And oh my God, I can't believe that that happened. And just constantly bringing it up when you're trying to shove it back down so you can get through your day. I'm not somebody that cries easily, mm -hmm. but it was to the point where I was just sitting there like looking at one of my friends that was involved in the case and I have tears streaming down my face. I was like, what is happening? Wow. <laughs> Something broke me. It was after that, that I just realized, like, I don't know how to get over this. I don't know how to process it. I actually reached out to see if I could find some uh, mental mm -hmm. health help. And I was paired up with a counselor yeah. that when she asked me what my goals were, I said, first and foremost, I need to figure out how to process this because it's not working. Anything that I know how to do isn't working. I have yeah. too much built up trauma after trauma of you know, the COVID cases and yeah. then this. 
and there, there were too many visuals going through my head that I couldn't get out, you know, pulling people from a car, knowing that this is the last time they're going to see their family member. You know, somebody can't breathe and you're having to pull them from a car and you're knowing they're not doing well, but with the visitor policies, you can't bring the family back. So this is their last memory together as a stranger pulling your loved one out of the car and uh, having certain visuals that I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't figure out how to make that stop. The one thing that really helped me was I'm somebody who enjoys writing anyway. And she suggested journaling and the journaling actually forced me to identify what I was feeling. You know, if I could actually write down and process as I was writing what I was seeing, what I was feeling, I could actually put a name to the feelings and it helped me process it better. You know, if I was actually writing out the whole case, for some reason, it just helped me. I don't want to say get over it, but just kind of recognize the emotions that were attached to it and just let it go and move on from there. What really strikes me about that, Caitlin, as somebody that's in the business, right? I'm in the mental health business is that you didn't miss a beat when that therapist said, what do you want to work on? Before, like you said, you didn't have the words, but when you talked to that person, you immediately came up with a plan. You stated the problem. I have this accumulation of material, like psychological material, traumatic stuff that's built up and I can't process it. I need need to learn how to the skills, how to process it. And then you were able to pretty quickly find something that gave you a sense of forward movement and control. And, and so it sounds like it was a positive experience. Yeah. No, it's something that I still continue to do now, especially with the resurgence of, of cases. We're having this new wave that's day after day, we're breaking records of new cases and deaths. So we're having that anxiety again, And I started to realize I would physically feel the anxiety coming on, on my way to work or hearing these stories of the cases coming back and sitting here wondering if this happens again, can I handle this? Can I go through this again? And at least now I have that hindsight of, or I guess the perspective of it got this bad before, but now I can recognize what made it bad and make a conscious effort to kind of stop myself before I get too overwhelmed. So now that I have those tools, it makes it a little bit easier when I recognize this stress and this anxiety of, well, what's going to happen? We're starting to see these cases. We're already running out of beds. And right now we're having this countdown of seven to 10 days after Thanksgiving, when everybody has gotten together with their Mm -hmm. families now, what is our ER going to look like? And we're seeing the cases climb every day. We're running out of beds. The anxiety is obviously high, but I'm still utilizing those same techniques where I'm writing it down and I can say, okay, well, if it gets this bad again, I handled it the first time. Yeah. I can handle anything I have to. So important. You know, you've just basically done a better job than I could do in explaining what therapy is, you know, it's kind of mysterious, you know, confusing. And we in the field don't do a great job explaining it, by the way, a lot of the time, but you just gave really eloquent description of what it's like. You come in, you say, this is my problem. 
And then you say, I want help building the skills to deal with it. And then you do it. You got to do the work, which you did. I think that's actually going to be really helpful for people listening to this to hear from your mouth, right? You know, not mine. What also I think would be helpful is to go back because I think there are a lot of people out there that are maybe about to reach out, but they don't. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what it was that made you decide to reach out? Had you done it before? Did you know somebody that had a good experience? Did you debate it? Did you ask for advice? I did debate it. My concern was I didn't want to reach out for help within the same hospital system that I was working. I didn't want to be seen as weak. I didn't want to be seen as crazy for being overwhelmed by my feelings or for not being able to handle them. So I did debate. I started talking to other friends and especially after that last case, that big case that we had, I talked to my friends that were also involved in it and realized we're all going through the same thing. We're all having the same problems. None of us slept that first night. I didn't sleep for three days and I was feeling absolutely crazy. I think just realizing that other people were going through it as well. And also, you know, I, I understand the importance of getting help for your mental health. Did, the, did your friends reach out too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one friend that wasn't involved in the case, but she was working that night and she held down the fort. She was fantastic along with, you know, a couple other staff members that yeah. didn't have to get pulled into this. Yeah. They handled the entire rest of the department she saw the state that we were in that night and she saw the state of the room and she knew the case and she made it a point to take me out and just sit me down and ask me how I was doing, knowing that it was not well, but just taking that time to actually delve into, you know, but really, are you okay? And just making it known that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to need help. And knowing that I had that support when I was out here feeling like I had nobody. Yeah. Because, you know, I was new to the area. I don't have my support people in the time when you really need your support people. So I think having that support from my coworkers and also just knowing that it's important to take care of your mental health and knowing that I was not okay, all that accumulated and just had me feel like it was time to reach out. So what would you say to someone, you know, let's say all the way across the country that's an emergency room nurse and they've been through something sort of like that and they say to you, you know, I, I had the thought, but I feel like it's a sign of weakness to reach out. What would you say to them? I'd say especially in the ER, we see things that are not normal. And I think sometimes we forget because it becomes our normal that this stuff is not normal for a person to process. And even under non-COVID times, we have that time where you take what happens at work and you have some kind of release outside of work to sit and process and, and not just be continually compounded by what we're going through. And especially right now, we, we don't have that luxury. We're just continually compounded by the traumas of work. And I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I think it's just a sign of self-care. And now more than ever, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of each other. We're all really recognizing that healthcare workers are going through a lot that nobody else can understand right now. 
we have this special role in this pandemic that we don't get a break from it. We have no choice. We didn't ask for these conditions and we have no choice but to show up because our roles are, are critical in fighting this. I know I personally have developed a stronger respect and appreciation for my colleagues. You know, people I know, people I don't know. Just if you're doing this, I have so much respect for what you're going through because I know that we're all going through something that nobody else can understand. And I think it's just so important to make sure that you take care of yourself and make sure that you take care of each other. And if you see somebody that is struggling, maybe they're contemplating getting mental health help. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can be that person to say, it's okay. I support you. I support that you need to take this action to learn better coping skills. I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I think it's just trying to figure out what works best for you to process this unprecedented trauma that we're going through. That's really helpful, by the way. And it's like you just said a minute ago, you know, it's okay to say that you're not okay. So I just want to, first of all, tell you that I'm really thankful, grateful that I had the chance to talk with you. I have no doubt that your time with us on the podcast is going to really be extremely helpful to some people out there. In addition to picking up some of your terms, which I'm going to use, I love the pre-TSD, but just to hear, you know, you give voice to the experience of not just the accumulation of trauma in and above what you would normally sign up to do, but what you have to deal with in the world around you relative to whether people understand that or not, and all that you're kind of going into battle carrying all this extra weight. I thought that was really powerful. So I just want to really thank you and wish you well. I know you're bad, you know, you're there doing the work because you, you know, it's important to you to the, the work is and helping people is, and we wish you the best. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, for what you guys are doing. Cause I really think this would help a lot of people. Lift the mask. Voices of Heroes in a Silent Pandemic, with Dr. John Santo Pietro, executive produced by Kevin M. Lynch, The Quell Foundation, and Mod Worldwide. Managing producer, Sarah Marshall, theme song by Musical Smile. The show is engineered and edited by Scott Waz and Steve Campagna of Philadelphia Post. Assistant audio editor, Vlad Radu, film editor at Mod Worldwide. Voiceover artist, Sinead Doyle. Research and development by Colleen Lowe, Nick Lee, Jessica Ripper, and Caitlin Spurlock. Special thanks to Renee Wilk and Brittany McCormick as associate producers. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might hear your review on a future episode. Got a question? Email the Quell Foundation at liftthemask at thequellfoundation.org for sponsorship information or to find out how you can share your story as a guest on a future episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are downloaded. Also, please remember to share this podcast with friends and family who would enjoy this content. This is not a podcast for personal disclosure of suicidal thoughts or behaviors and is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. If you are in crisis, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department for assistance. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 
273-8255 or text HELP to 741-741 if you're thinking about suicide. The Quell Foundation is a registered 501c3 not-for-profit organization benefiting the over 62 million Americans living with a mental health illness. Tax ID 47 512 7883